So good morning. Great to see you today. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, kind of verses 10 through 20. If you have those with you, if you have your mobile devices, you can turn. I guess you can't turn. You can click to that or push a button to that, open an app. And uh, also there's a Bible app that goes along with what we're doing. And uh, it's on uh, Uversion. The Brown Bible app, if you guys are familiar with that, so many people in the world have downloaded that. But you can go to events, and our event will come up right now. You can click on that. And the notes are in there. And so you can refer back. If you save it, um, you can refer back to that. Once the service is over, it's gone, um, unless you push save. But uh, I know a lot of you uh, like to think about the, the, the scriptures that we talked through. Um, and so, and take some notes. You can actually do that on your phone. A lot of you just like pen and paper, which is great. But Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to listen to this. See if you can relate to this. I'm going to read this, actually. This has happened to me, and I just wonder if it's something that has, uh, has happened to you also. I had a key in my pocket, but there were coins in my pocket, too. And so I had trouble finding the key. I pulled out a piece of gum, but when I finally found the key, it didn't really matter. And that was because I had a box as well. I mean, the box wasn't really mine. It belonged to the person who owned the key. Uh, you see, I didn't actually own the key or even the, uh, or even the box. The key was supposed to be put into the box so that I could get what was in the box out. Now, I didn't own the key or the box but what was in the box was mine, even though I didn't bought it or I had never seen it before. You know, there was a window as well. Uh, I could see through the window, and I saw that there was nothing in the box, which made me realize that I didn't have to put the key in the box so, like, so that I could get into the box in order to get out of the box what was mine. Well, then this man came by, and, and well, he had things in a box, and I kind of felt stupid standing there, so I even though there wasn't anything in the box, I, I, I put my key in the box and I just stood there. And so I stood there with the key stuck in a box and nothing actually in the box. You follow? You still with me? I, you know, I'm actually probably talking about something that, that you've experienced before. If you ever had a P.O. box or if you've ever been in college and you had a, a mailbox as a college student. But the way I just explained it was so garbled and confusing that really you're sitting there, and if you're new, you're like, this guy. You know, i got to listen to 30 more minutes of this just confusing, garbled mess. You know, what I want to talk about today in this passage that we're coming to is something that <clears throat> is certain. It's not confusing. And yet we've, we've made it confusing. We've garbled it up. So many times we don't have a clear sense of what this passage is talking about. And because we don't see it clearly so often, it causes anxiety, it causes fear, it causes us to feel like or sense or experience life in a way that is far from certain. And it's kind of like often, like listening to me try to explain simply, like I have a P.O. box, I put a key in there, I get the mail out, kind of thing. 
you remember, we're in this series uh, about spiritual warfare. And we've noticed a few things that we're just centering around. You can't win if you don't know. The believer and Satan are in a mortal combat. Verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6 that we've worked through says this, we wrestle, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And the way that Paul writes the word wrestle, the word he uses is a term describing life, death, hand-to-hand combat. It's not wrestling like in the high school. This is a mortal combat that the believer, you, and Satan are engaged in. And so often because of the lies that Satan has sown into our world and caused the kingdoms and the philosophies and the thought systems of this world to believe, we also tend to lose sight of the fact that every day you and I are engaged in this mortal combat. You and I, as a believer, are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but but against a very powerful adversary. So often, people don't even know. They're not even aware. It never crosses their radar, or very rarely crosses their radar. You and I are in a mortal combat. And if you can't, if you can't win, if you don't know. Your adversary's too powerful, he's too cunning, he's too crafty, and uh, he's going to continue to defeat you, to push you back, to cause you to lose ground in your life, and oftentimes to rob, kill, and destroy your spiritual life. Because that's what he's always intent on doing. And so if you don't know, you can't win. Second thing we've noticed that we're going to notice that we are noticing is although that is true, Christ has done something about that. And that's how Paul is finishing this book in which he's explained everything we need to know about our position in Christ, our place in Christ, and the life that God has for us through the power of his Holy Spirit Uh, this abundant life, this this wonderful uh, gospel that comes into our life and then causes us to live in a whole new way where we actually say, you know what? This is why I was created. This is what makes sense. This is what life is about. And we see that Christ has done all this for us. He also understands the conflict we're in, and so he has equipped us to win in this spiritual warfare. And in fact, as we finish this up uh, over the next uh, few weeks and the next month, we'll see that not only have we been equipped to win, but we've been empowered for victory. There's a secret weapon that we have that continues to strengthen and empower us, give us the, the strength that we need to live in the armor that we've been given and to fight as God would have us to fight. And so, you know, we've talked about things uh, I want to do kind of a steady drip here. Ken last week uh, talked about two lies uh, about Satan. The two lies are, and this is kind of just a steady drip through this series. Here's a little tidbit about what the word says about this. Here's a little, uh, you know, Satan is powerless. That's not true. He's powerful. He's not powerless. And Satan is everywhere. 
all right? Even though he's powerful, he is uh, not omniscient, all right? Uh, you can either have people who are totally unaware of this conflict, or you can have people who think that Satan is behind every tree, all right? That's not healthy either, because that's not a, a, a fair representation of the, the world we live in. He's a powerful adversary, but he is not everywhere, okay? Uh, I want to just remind you of a few other things that the words say, just kind of a steady drip of little things you can take every week. There's four things I, I would want you to know. Christ has already dealt the death blow to Satan, okay? It's not that Christ is going to deal the death blow to Satan. Christ has already dealt the death blow to Satan. Amen. It's over. It's accomplished. When he cried out, it is finished, and he died, he breathes his last, and then when that morning he rises from the dead, that's the death blow, it's over. Victory's been accomplished. We're just filling out the scorecard here, but it's already done. The victory is in hand. That's why I love to watch DVR games on my team when I already know they won. <laughs> so fun, right? Because I just like, oh man, it looks bad right now. We're down three scores, and we just turn the ball over. But guess what? I already know we won. I watch that game, and I actually enjoy the hardships. Yeah, but. Right? It's like we're, we've DVR'd life, in a sense. Okay? The victory's won. It's done. Christ has dealt the death blow. You need to know that always in this conflict. Victory's already been won. Christ has, there is Satan defeating power that dwells in you. Satan defeating power that dwells. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The spirit of Christ in you always, always will give you the victory in this warfare with, with the enemy of your soul. You have been resourced, you have been empowered, you have been strengthened in a way that doesn't ever suffer a defeat through the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to know that. The third thing is, the scripture says, you can and should resist. You're called, as Paul would say here, call it stand. Uh, other places it says resist. So often we're like, uh, I should just run from him. And, and it's, no, you're called to resist. You can and you should resist him. Right? Resist the devil, he will flee from you. The last thing I want you to notice is don't even give him a place. Ephesians would talk about this earlier uh, in chapter 4. Don't even give place to the devil. You can and should resist, but just even be aware that you don't even need to give him an audience or a forum. Don't even give him a place. This is what the scriptures are continually helping us to see about this conflict that we're in. Things you should know. Well, we've looked at belt of truth. Truth holds everything together. The belt held everything in place. The truth is what holds it all together. We saw last week that in the breastplate, our right living protects the vital organs, parts of our life. The life that God creates in us, the integrity, the holiness of life that he is producing in us. Not, we can't produce that. But he's producing in us is a vital part 
of us not falling prey to the schemes, the plans, the attack of the enemy. Three things exist in this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Correct? And this is where you saw, Ken talked about the temptation of Jesus, right? That's what actually the devil tried to use in Jesus' life. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He came to him in those areas, tried to work, prey on those areas of even Jesus' human life. And us allowing God to transform us, make us, can I say this word, holy, be holy as I am holy, is a vital part of us being protected from the snares, attacks, and plans of the enemy who wants to trip us up in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we've seen the breastplate, and we've got the belt holding it all together. Today, we're simply going to look at this one verse. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, obviously today, we primarily think of shoes in two, two ways. Fashion and comfort, right? When you're buying shoes, a lot of times, by and large, most of us are thinking comfort and fashion. Is it comfortable to me? And is it fashionable in the way I look? Right? That's kind of where we've gotten to in our, in our existence in this world. We just, we are so comfortable that we choose our shoes based on mostly comfort and fashion. Obviously, that's not the case in the first century. Shoes were primarily thought of through protection. Protection was the main consideration. They would have loved, they would have loved to get to the point that we are, where it's fashion and comfort a lot of times when we're choosing these shoes. We take protection for granted. Yeah, we don't even kind of think of that, unless you work in an industry where you need like steel-toed boots, right? And then it's, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's essential. I remember one time, Oh, it's 9-4. I got plenty of time. I remember one time I was working at my, my uh, I didn't even have this in my notes. Ben, don't squirm. Uh, you know, like, uh, I was working at a place called RPS, okay? It's FedEx Ground now. I, I worked my whole first year of college, every night almost till midnight, worked my way through my first year of college, paid, walked in two weeks after my first year of college and made my last payment. And then I was, I never had a school bill again. God bless me in so many ways. But I worked, I mean, like a dog through that first year of college. And RPS was like UPS. At that time, UPS had 80% of the market share. RPS had 15, all right? But <laughs> I got hired the week after UPS went on strike. 1997. I don't know if you remember that, but UPS went on strike. 80% of the market share had to go somewhere. People were not going to stop shipping packages. Well, guess where they went? To your RPS. We were not equipped or ready to handle that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What did I sign up for? Because, I mean, we were working until 1 or 2 in the morning, right? And I remember one night, I, I, was, I just wore regular shoes. 
because it really was just loading semis and sorting. I was on a belt sorting packages. And I remember, though, I got up at the end of the at the end of uh, the, the shift at night, and we were turning the machines off, and there was a few packages, you know, kind of uh, just coming down that, that needed to move, and, and I just climbed up to go get one of those, and I was on a pair of rollers. would go belt to roller, then belt, right? You understand the idea. And the machine was still on, and when I went to push this thing, my foot slipped on the roller, and went down in between the roller and this belt that's moving thousands and thousands of pounds. And it is just pushing. You can imagine, right? Fortunately, there was somebody that was close that saw and hit the e-stop, and everything shut down. And um, they had to pull my foot out. My big toe was this thick. I kid you not. Like, it was It was smashed. It came back. It went from this to like this. I was okay. But in that moment, I realized steel-toed boots would have been really helpful at that moment. So protection, yeah. But mostly it's comfort and style. But not then. This is a picture museum of, of what they would have worn. The terrain was terrible. There were thorns on the ground. Cobbles of rocks and pebbles. Not paved roads. Rough, rough terrain. Especially if you've been in the Middle East. And a Roman soldier wouldn't get into a battle with just a normal leather shoe with a slick bottom. He'd be slipping, sliding all over the place. Can you imagine him trying to climb a rock to, in, the, in a battle? He'd be slipping. Can you imagine um, uh, uh, one thing that was co- common in that day was uh, we have minefields, right? We kind of understand that. Back then they had minefields, but they were uh, not quite the same. And an army would know that a certain army was going to advance toward them in a way And so they would protect themselves, or they would try to stop that advance by planting sharp sticks. They would sharpen them to a razor point and put them down in the ground where you couldn't necessarily see them. And if they could just get you to step, gouge your foot, wound yourself. That happened often. I read that Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world at that time, attributed his army's advance many times to the fact that they had advanced footwear. And so a Roman soldier would carefully choose these feet, these shoes, thick-soled, semi-boot that would come around their foot, straps that would tie up around their leg to hold it firmly in place. On the bottom, they had these hobnails, these little pieces of metal that protruded from the bottom like a football or a track shoe, a baseball shoe, to give them a grip on the soil. When they're thinking feet, when they're thinking shoes, they are thinking firmness of footing so that they could stand in the battle. They needed to be able to plant 
and be certain as they fought. Shoes were for certainty, for sound footing, for traction to be able to stand. I mean, think about it. What good would the first two do if you can't stay on your feet? Right? Breastplate, belt. But if you're laying on the ground, you're at a severe disadvantage. In fact, you're probably going to lose. And so when the writer says, or Paul says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, he is thinking words like established and well-grounded. Feet planted solidly in certainty, well-grounded. You know, sometimes I've read, and I read this a lot this week, and I think it's a, a mistake of a lot of commentators, sloppy, that because the scriptures talk about in other places, your feet, uh, uh, you know, Isaiah talks about blessed are the, the feet of those who share the gospel, and, and your, that's not what this is talking about here. He's used the word stand many times already, having done all to stand, to be able to have firm footing, to be able to stand firmly as you fight. And so your feet, a soldier's feet, was about certainty, being well grounded so that I don't slip and fall. And he says this, that in this spiritual warfare, you must be well grounded, firmly established, have a certainty at the base so that you might slip and fall. And that certainty comes from these words. That comes from the gospel of peace. What keeps me grounded? What allows me to stand as I fight or to move and plant and keep my footing? It is the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. So you know what the gospel means, the good news, right? Um, but he continued that thought, and I think this is where we need to sit for just a moment, and we need to understand where our certainty comes from, where our confidence can live. It's in this gospel of peace. Now, the scriptures would share that there's, there's two kinds of, of peace, right? There's the peace with God or from God, and there's the peace of God, Right? The peace with God or the peace of God. Here, Paul is setting a foundation for us to grab a hold of. And it's in this idea of the peace with God. So I am certain in, my, in fighting this war and that certainty comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and it has to do with this idea of the peace that I have with God. You follow me? Okay? Yeah, a few of you are. <laughs> so, Paul has already referred to Christ in chapter 2 as our peace. Our peace who's broken down, broken down the middle wall. And that has to do with 
mostly his idea is bringing Jews and Gentiles together, right? There was conflict always between Jews and Gentiles. Christ has broken that down. He is what brings peace into every social situation, into every economic situation, into every relational situation. Christ is our peace. But in that statement, he is, again, bringing us to the fact that Christ brings peace. The gospel brings peace. And here's what I'm hoping that you'll see. The peace from God or with God is... um, is it's objective it's a peace that's more objective the peace of god that god brings is something that follows the peace with god the peace of god and the peace of god which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds in christ right philippians chapter 4 the peace that comes from god it's the it's the peace that we're looking for so often right i want to feel calm i want to feel at ease i want to feel this peace that chases away my doubts fears and anxiety that right that's it's more experiential in nature the peace of god but paul is trying to take us back to the cornerstone of where that peace comes from and it's established on the peace that comes with god peace of god flows out of peace with god have i made you tired of prepositions because it's just prepositions is what it is But it's important for us to understand. This peace is not some psychological tranquility. It is not an emotional security. It is not feelings of confidence or well-being. Stay with me. It is not subjective at all. This is the peace that comes after the peace with God. That's the peace of God. But the peace of God is established on the first fact of the peace with God. And when he says at your feet, this certain, well-grounded, firm foundation, firm footing, it comes from having experienced the gospel of peace, this peace with God. See, Romans chapter 5 would explain it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Peace with God. This relationship with God, it can be defined as a relationship of peace. You see, being justified by faith is God now declaring you righteous, you just, The very act of God establishes a new relationship between you and God. And this is what I want us to get. Before Christ, you have been at war with God. You've been an enemy with God. Ephesians chapter 2, he would talk about that. We need to see this. That there is now a peace that has happened, whereas there was once a conflict are you following me this is where it's so unclear so often Um, the issue is not your attitude of confidence it's not your emotional sense of well-being it's not the absence of fear and doubt 
Did you hear that? It's not the absence of fear and doubt. It's not the presence of tranquility. Or That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about here is a relationship of peace rather than animosity. You have ceased being an enemy of God and you have become a child of God. You have ceased to be a hater of God and you have become a lover of God. You have ceased to be a child of Satan and you become a child of God. You have passed out of the kingdom of darkness and you have come into the kingdom of God's dear son. And the relationship of animosity has been drastically altered and become a relationship of intimacy and loving fellowship. You see, the unregenerate man is an enemy of God. And guess what? God is angry with him. Psalm 7 would say this, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Hello, 21st century. Amen? Read your Bibles. No one's reading their Bibles anymore. We're listening to... Okay. Not being in a relationship with Christ is to be an enemy of God. What is foundational to what it means to be lost to be fallen, to be sinful, to have been born into sin and then to live out our sinful desires is to live at direct conflict with God and to not have peace. And what happens is that because we are at war with God and God in his righteousness, in his holiness, he is wrathful toward people who do not worship him as God and follow him as he has created them to do. We need to see this side of how God reveals himself because you know what it does? When we break through into now our new relationship with Christ, it is, wow, it lights us on fire. And there is no more, no mealy mouth, oh yeah, I said a prayer, and I, I'm, I think I'm good with God, and I have asked him forgiveness, and it's like what I shared at the beginning. It's a confused, garbled mess. And no one really understands what it is to be a child of God, to have passed into a new life, until we concretely understand that you and I, in Christ, have passed into a dynamic new relationship where I was at one time with war with God, wanting my own way, fighting against God's will, fighting against God's word, always manipulating however I can get this, and now passing into this new relationship because of Christ, death on the cross, and him taking taking my punishment in my place and him satisfying the wrath of God and I didn't get what I deserved and all of a sudden he offers to me freely his grace and love and mercy and I'm saying, wow! And I accept that. My life is drastically different and I live every day with this whole sense of I am not at war with God anymore. Amen? And that happens when you and I, in the gospel of peace, recognize, I can't make God happy. I, I can't do it. 
I can't atone for my own behaviors. And I can't actually be good enough to somehow satisfy this wrath God feels toward me for my sinful behaviors. I'm blowing some of you guys out of the water. You haven't heard about the wrath of God in forever. Read your Bibles. Read Romans. It's all over the place. The wrath of God. Read Ephesians. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. We need to see this. We need to understand this. It's a sobering thing to live in this world. To be caught in this conflict between good and evil and to realize that we're a player whether we want to be or not. Inherently by birth, we are now in a place where we're either going to follow Christ or we're going to be at war with God. And therefore, by virtue of being at war with God, we are going to experience God's wrath. But the amazing thing is What Christ has done for us provides for us a peace with God. And he says, at the the place where you need to be grounded in this whole spiritual conflict is in your new relationship with God whereby you have passed from death to life and from wrath to sonship what keeps you grounded on a sure footing in this spiritual warfare you are in is the fact that you live every day realizing that I am now God's child and I am at peace with And because of what Christ has done in the gospel, I can live every day with a confidence. Not a confidence of, I feel good today, or I have a good sense about today, but a confidence based on the authority of God's word and what he has said and where I have placed my trust and faith, regardless of my feelings, I am his and I have have appropriated my faith on his work. That is what keeps me certain every day in this warfare. Some of you are still thinking about wrath. Confidence comes when we experience peace with God. I remember my own life when I passed over. I placed my complete trust and faith in Christ. And I knew that I was no longer in conflict with God. That I was his child. And I had peace with God. And the fact that I have peace with God is what has kept me on a firm foundation, certain footing all these years in this conflict with the enemy who wants to continue to rob, kill, destroy my life. You see, what happens is, it's in our understanding of our need to place our faith in the work of Christ and depend on Christ's victory, his salvation, that brings us sure and certain footing. Not in what is sold, bought and sold over and over today. Today, a religion. Because when is enough? 
When are you good enough? When do you know you've done enough? There's not certainty in religion. It's all about, I need to do more. I'm a little bit unsure. And in the life of religion, not the gospel of peace, there is no certainty. And I've watched people who have walked religiously for years as the enemy has shot arrows of doubt, has, has, has enticed them through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They have, they have been captured by that because they didn't have the sure, solid, certain footing of the gospel of peace in their life. Amen? Sure, as I've walked with Christ and I've placed my faith on the fact that in Christ I have peace with God, the peace of God has flooded my heart many times. And I live with the peace of God. And he brings his peace. Peace I give you, peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, but as only I through the Holy Spirit. And I know what it is like to sense the favor and the peace of God in all sorts of circumstances. But it was grounded in the reality that I have come to a point of peace with God as his child. It's why Paul would say something like this. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds somehow have been led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to what? To Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, if you received a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you, I'm worried that you put up with it too easy. Stay grounded in the gospel of peace. The fact that the only thing that I can do is to lay myself bare on the mercy of God through the atoning work of Christ. And yet, in doing so, it brings a certainty that cannot be shaken by this world. And then even though, I'm going to tell you, there's days I wake up and I feel 5,000 miles from God. I've went through periods of my life where I don't even feel the Spirit of God. I do. Absolutely. Where are you at, God? I don't sense you. I don't. I pray, and it's just like, boom, it's hitting the ceiling, it seems like. Right? But there is a certainty in my life that comes from knowing I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And that in him I have peace with God and that I am his child no matter what I feel, what is circumstantial, whether it's going my way or it's not going my way. None of that matters because at the core, my foundation is rooted firmly in the gospel of peace. Amen. Peace with God. I'm trusting in your salvation alone. This is what John said, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty simple. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? Know. Certainty that you have eternal life. We have sure footing through our trust in the gospel.
He's given us the belt of truth, which we can, we can depend on, we can have a, a certainty with in believing what God has said, that it's the truth. He's given us this relationship where he's working in us, but it's all firmly founded in one thing, the gospel of peace. It's the gospel that keeps us certain in this conflict with Satan. The fact that I now have a new relationship as God's child, and that relationship is a relationship of peace. Peace with God. That is why, as Paul finishes Romans, he says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What will keep you grounded against your most powerful adversary? What will allow you to then be able to use, appropriate the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith? What keeps you up, standing? Having done all, stand. Stand is how do I stay firmly rooted, well-grounded? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what will keep you certain in this warfare. So my simple question for you today and my simple word is for those of you who have believed in Christ, would you remember that there is nothing more certain than your relationship right now with Him? Regardless of how you feel, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of maybe your mental frame of mind where there's doubts and fears at times and you don't understand certain things, but you know that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. You, have, you know that that is where your hope is found. If that is true, then you are on the surest ground you could ever be on. You have the certainty that you have peace with God and that as you have peace with God, you are his child. And what Romans chapter 8 says is absolutely right for you. Maybe this morning you have not experienced that. And I would tell you, your life will be nothing but shifting sand. Your life will be like a boat tossed to and fro. You'll never find certainty. You'll never be grounded. You'll never understand how life is supposed to be lived. You'll never gain traction. You'll never win until you have firmly placed your hope and trust in the work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the atonement for your soul. Let's sing as we go. Remind yourselves, We have certainty today. We have certainty today. We can be grounded in the gospel of peace that comes through placing our trust and faith in the work of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. Would you sing as we go?